Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? We at Brave Enough understand that, and that is why we have partnered with BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not a self-help line. It is professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own professional therapist. BetterHelp's Counselor Network offers a broad range of expertise that may not be available in many areas. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Finally, BetterHelp is more affordable than offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Brave Enough Show listeners will get 10% off their first month. Just visit BetterHelp.com backslash Brave Enough. That's BetterHelp.com backslash Brave Enough to get your 10% off your first month. Or you could just follow the link in the show notes and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health today. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Brave Enough Podcast. Grab some coffee, sit back, or enjoy your drive, and let's get authentic, real, and into the good stuff. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, and I'm so excited to hang out with you today, where we're going to talk about life and work and all the messy stuff in between. So get ready. In Season 2, Episode 40, Sasha interviews Dr. Shika Jane. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Welcome to the Brave Enough Show. It is my honor to have an amazing woman who I count as a friend and an ally on the show today. Dr. Shika Jane is a board certified hematologist and oncologist, which is basically a physician that takes care of people that have cancer. She is a brilliant woman. She's a brilliant clinician. She's an educator. She's a leader. I asked her to come on the show today because she is a very strong advocate for other women. And I have found her to be the type of person that I can shoot ideas off of, and also someone that has really been an ally to me as a person leading in this space. So I asked her to come on the show today and talk about what we oftentimes don't talk about as women leaders, the downside or the challenges or the reality of what it means to be an advocate for women or other marginalized groups. And so I wanted to talk about that today, and I'm just so honored to have Dr. Jane on the show. I could go on and on and on about all of her awards and her accolades. She is the director of communication strategies in medicine. She is at the um, University of Illinois Cancer Center. She's been named one of Modern Healthcare's top 25 emerging leaders. I mean, she's just a rising star on across the board. And she's a TEDx speaker. She's just amazing. So welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm so honored that you're here, Shika. Thank you so much for having me, Sasha. I'm just, I'm honored to be on your show. I listen to your show with my daughter and she loves it. So I'm thrilled to be on. (laughs) Well, um, talk to me about why, I mean, there's obviously a point in your career as a woman in medicine, you know, you, you are a researcher, you're a clinician, you're a leader, but there's no reason for you to need to take on gender equity and to kind of speak out and become an advocate and become a leader for women in medicine and in gender equity. So I'm interested in hearing the pivot. Like what made you go, wait a minute, I got to start speaking out. I got to start studying this. I got to start organizing and advocating for women. So it's such a good question. And it's funny because my family asks me that all the time. They say, when did this happen that you all of a sudden became this voice for other women in healthcare? And 
I think it goes back to when I was pregnant with my twins. So, um, you know, I have three kids and when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was a fellow and I had struggles similar to what many women in medicine face, you know, pumping and finding time to be a mom and be a physician. But then when I was pregnant with my twins, I was actually an attending and I was a little bit more active on social media. And I started hearing all these stories from other women across the country. And the stories sounded very similar to mine. And I had always thought that the challenges I faced were because I wasn't working hard enough or because I was struggling because I wasn't smart enough or I had done something wrong. And when I started hearing these other stories, I thought, well, this is crazy. These people are having the same experience as me. Why on earth did I think that all of the challenges I was facing was because I wasn't good enough? And so I talked to my dad, actually, who's been my strongest advocate, ally, mentor, sponsor since I was born. And he had recently put on a conference for um, vascular surgeons. And I said, Dad, how hard is it to put on a conference? And he said, well, it's not that hard. He's like, I can help you, thinking that, you know, I was going to do something for 20, 50 women. And that's where the idea for my original Women in Medicine conference came from. And I really, I didn't think it was going to become anything big. I thought it was going to be something where, you know, just a couple women get together and talk about things and, and figure out some solutions. But the more and more I started planning, the more I realized we really needed more of these networking opportunities, these education opportunities, and women really needed to talk about these types of things. And I was inspired by people like you and Dr. Julie Silver who were doing this kind of stuff. And I really thought that in order for things to change, more women needed to be a part of the conversation and have these conversations more openly. And so that's kind of when I decided that I wanted to spend at least a part of my career focusing on gender equity and helping other women advance and helping them navigate this very challenging path we choose when we go into medicine because of a lot of barriers that are put in our place. Well, I love that you had this eye-opening moment where you realized, why am I putting this on me? Because I think so many of us as women do that. And um, we always think when we are struggling, when we are burdened, when we are overwhelmed, when we are not juggling all the balls that we have to juggle and we drop one, that it must be a reflection of our own weakness or our own character flaw or our own insecurity or something. And um, I think it's the, the, the initial thought that comes to our mind as a woman is, it's me. But when you get in a room, which you've described at your conference and so many other conferences, when you get in a room with, with women that are like you, you realize that it, it actually isn't you. <laughs> that there's no like major flaw within yourself. And I think that's so empowering. That's where the power comes. It's not from like someone telling you, you can do anything or be anything. It's from, for myself, I feel really empowered when I realize like, oh, I'm okay. Like, you know, Dr. Jane also struggles with this and Dr. Silver also struggles with this. So there's actually nothing wrong with me that's going to prevent me from doing this or that or the next thing. So I love that you just, that insight that you just, that you just kind of, you know, blew my mind with right there, right off the, <laughs> right off the, the bat. But, um, so as you started to plan and get organized, what obstructions surprised you? Oh my goodness. I could probably talk about them for months. I mean, 
I've had, I've had people tell me that what I'm doing is a waste of time. I've had people tell me that I'm not academic enough because I'm doing these things. I've had people tell me that we've already achieved gender equity and why on earth would I want to talk about these things? Um, I've had some people give me very constructive feedback saying, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're doing may not help you in your advancement of your career. Um, you know, some people say it in, in ways to try to help guide me and mentor me. And I think that I try to take all of those types of constructive comments and utilize them in a way to improve myself and improve what I'm doing and figure out how to kind of utilize what I'm doing to not only amplify others, but also hopefully help me in my career and my professional life as well. Um, You know, I've had, I've had people tell me I'm too young. I've had people tell me that, um, I'm not senior enough to be expecting people to listen to me, which I thought was kind of interesting because, you know, I've gotten advice and guidance and mentorship from people younger than me. So I think if people have good ideas and have the ability to lead that we should let them lead and and let them guide the plan, guide the initiatives, especially if they have that experience and that expertise. Um, You know, I think that one of the biggest struggles, especially being on social media, is it's very easy to get down on yourself because there are people who will be negative or who will attack you or who don't know you and will send you messages that you know really make you question what you're doing and question your values, question who you are as a person. And it's very easy to, to get sucked into that type of thing. So I'm very fortunate to have a very strong support system with my family. And so I go to them often and they always give me real talk. And when I come across these barriers, I'll talk to them and say, is this something that is our actual barrier? Is this something I should focus on and try to overcome? Or is this something I should ignore and move past? And I think that's the biggest way I've been able to keep my sanity so far by kind of compartmentalizing things and figuring out what's important to focus on, what's not, what criticisms am I getting are things that I should listen to to improve myself and what criticisms am I getting from people who just don't understand what I'm doing and I can either try to educate them or I can realize that they aren't a part of my future and I don't need to necessarily have them as a part of my life or my circle. Mm. I, I, You said a lot of uh, things that really resonated with me and I think will probably resonate with those listening. I I know for myself that I obviously, I'm older um, and I didn't come into this work um, until probably at at least like eight years into my career. So a little, little farther, um, I was not as on top of things as you were. Um, And I really tried for the first several years of my career to follow the the rule book, so to speak, which I call the manual and (laughs) um, in my book. And um what I found was when I decided to kind of take on a role of being an advocate for women and gender, um, gender equity specifically, is I had feedback, negative feedback from people who didn't like me, and that was kind of expected. I had negative feedback from people who I really liked and respected, and I knew liked me, and that was difficult. It was almost more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that it was coming from a good place. Like I think they were frankly worried about me. They were worried that I was going to throw away my academic career. They were worried that I was going to be labeled as the gender equity person. And some of that is, is valid, you know, certainly. Um, I'm sure it's the same for you, but I think, you know, you are well published as a, as a oncologist and 
I'm well published as a cardiac anesthesiologist, but what we're known for a lot of times is people will be like, oh, you wrote an article on diastolic dysfunction. Oh, we didn't know. You know, I'm like, yeah, I, you know what I'm saying? So I think people do when you do come out of the gate as like, I am interested in gender equity. I speak on gender equity or when you are on social media, kind of pushing the envelope and trying to draw attention and advocate for marginalized people, people think that that's, that's you and that defines you. And it's easy to forget that we're also also scientists and well-published and all these other things. So some of the feedback I got, I, I can look back and go, you know, I think they were concerned and they had a right to be. But I think that it's important that we talk about some of the challenges and the downsides because um, there are, they're real. Like speaking out in uncomfortable topics like pay disparities mm-hmm. um, can have a negative impact for you where you work or, or even academically amongst, amongst circles. Have, I have found that to be true. Have you found that to be true? I absolutely, absolutely have. And, you know, I think it's, it's so interesting to me the way different people respond to this type of work. I've had, you know, same as, as you said, I've had people who've been very supportive. I've had people who have been very negative. I've had people who I thought were close to me and were my, you know, close colleagues mm-hmm. say negative things either to me or behind my back that I didn't know they were saying until someone shared it with me later on. And, you know, the people who are saying things to my face, I absolutely believe that they are trying to help and they are concerned and they want to help guide me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, as you mentioned, I am younger. I am I guess I'm still kind of junior faculty, although I'm close to mid-career now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where that where that clarification happens. Um, and I've tried really hard to listen to more senior individuals who've been doing this work for decades because, you know, we stand on the shoulders of women who've been doing this for so long and they have a lot of experience and they they've moved the needle forward in ways that, you know, have allowed us to do what we do now. And they've given me some advice and constructive feedback. But I think the biggest challenge is a lot of what we do is such uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. And especially with the rise of social media in the last decade, I think that because there's so much transparency and there's so much just dissemination of the information that we're putting out there, a lot of people, especially people who've been in medicine for a long time, they don't know how to process it Mm -hmm. and they don't know how to really put us in a box, so to speak. I've been told before that I'm not a typical academic. Um, I've been told before that I'm not somebody who's going to advance in academia because I'm focusing on things that aren't necessarily traditionally academic, like writing op-eds and narrative pieces and um, doing TEDx talks, which is something, you know, in academics 20 years ago, I don't think people were really thinking about doing those types of things. So I think that the things that the types of things that you and I do and that we're interested in doing and really getting a message out there, it's so outside of the box of traditional academic medicine that some people just don't know what to do with us. And I've I've had people look at my CV and say, this is very, very impressive, but, but it I don't fit. know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. How does this, how does this align with, yes. you know, our promotions matrix or how does this align yeah. with how we want to put you in an academic 
box. And I don't always know how to answer that. I've gotten a little bit better at answering that now. Um, and I'm actually fortunate with this new position. I'm starting one of my uh, mentors, one of my uh, bosses, actually, he is very forward thinking and um, he's very much interested in me cultivating these other aspects of my career outside of traditional pure academia. And I mean, I've only been there for a short time, so we'll see where it goes. But I think we need more people with that kind of innovative, forward-thinking way of incorporating all this new technology and new ways of getting information out there and new ways of being an advocate that really weren't there when the hierarchy in traditional academic medicine was created. So it needs a culture shift in medicine in order for people like you and I and many others who are doing this work to really get the, not even, I don't even want to say the recognition, but just to have people understand that what the type of stuff we're doing is important and it does actually make a difference in a pretty broad scale. I know. And it's, it's so interesting because, you know, it's, it's everything you're saying is, is like, I could, it, it resonates with me. Um, and it's interesting cause uh, while I am uh, older and I've been promoted and blah, 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 I'm, I experience everything that you're saying still on a daily basis. And one of the, the frustrations I have with the practice of medicine is that we are so innovative and encouraged to be innovative when it comes to research and clinical research, right? And translational mm -hmm. research. But yep. when it comes to our, the hierarchy of medicine and how we do culture change, it's like, well, we have this person and we don't know what to do with her because she's doing things that are affecting the culture, but it doesn't fit with, with our promotion and tenure plan, or it doesn't fit with our <laughs> job descriptions that we've created 30 years ago that have never changed, or it doesn't fit with the need that the, the, the C-suite or whatever. And I'm just going, okay, but, but what we've done isn't working. <laughs> <laughs> we have all these gaps, right? So we, yep. we have all these people who are doing this work and carrying this work forward. And most of them are younger. Most of them mm -hmm. are, are younger people. And so we have to embrace change in the very like hierarchy, the way, the path of medicine, of academic medicine. And I think that, you know, this is why, in my opinion, why women give up and they just go, I'm done. I'm not doing this work anymore because yep. it's not because we aren't talented enough or we don't have the knowledge or experience. It's because it's exhausting to, to try and convince people that the work we're doing has as much value as being the, the medical director of X, right? Yep. Because it doesn't mm -hmm. fit because it, it and, and it requires a change front in our leadership structure and it requires a change in how we make decisions and the voices around the table. And it's, we're just not there. I mean, and, and it's not a person, it's a system, right? Yep. And so I love when you are talking about this, cause I'm like, oh yeah, this is like, th it doesn't matter if you're an assistant professor, associate professor or professor, if you're doing this work, it's not with, it doesn't come without cost and risk. And, um, and it's really interesting. I, I once had, um, a very good friend who is, uh, in my subspecialty and active in my subspecialty organization say to me, you know, he kind of pulled me aside one day at a meeting and said, um, I'm just really worried about you because you're kind of emerging as 
like the person who just always talks about this. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, you know, I, I understand it was kind of, it was hard to hear. And then I thought, Nobody would come up to me and say, nobody came up to me for 10 years and said, I'm really worried that you're coming out as the, as the cardiac anesthesiologist that's talking about perioperative diastolic dysfunction. (laughs) Nobody cared. Nobody was concerned. There was, that that was celebrated. Right. But like, he was like, I'm just concerned you're getting this label. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, it's like, it's like, the, the invisible cloak, you know, of like, Oh, we're Mm -hmm. worried. So I I don't know. I thought that was funny, you know, that I'm like, think about this. Like nobody's coming to you and saying, you know, Shika, I'm really concerned that you're emerging as this phenomenal cancer researcher. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. That is very true. Well, it's so funny. My husband, actually, my husband is in private practice. He's a gastroenterologist and he's a huge supporter. He's wonderful. I love him. But he has asked me all the time. He says, why, why do you stay in academics? He said, why do you want to do this to yourself? He said, you're working, I'm working myself to the bone. I mean, I work more hours than I probably should. My, my family life suffers sometimes because I'm working on a talk or I'm working on a paper. I'm doing something that, I mean, it's basically uncompensated work, right? When you're doing work from home, that's not patient care related. That's trying to educate other people or disseminate information or, you know, publish. And he said, why are you doing it? When a lot of times the work you're doing is basically not recognized. It's not celebrated. And you're actually having people criticize the work you're doing. And I said, well, that's an excellent question. And there have been many days where I've thought, maybe I just leave academics. And, you know, my husband is very happy in private practice, seeing patients every day. And I love patient care. So maybe that's, maybe that's what I need to do. But when I start thinking about that, then I realize I would miss doing all these other things. It's just, it's so frustrating because like you said, the types of things that I'm working on, I'm still doing cancer research. I'm still teaching, you know, residents and fellows. I'm still seeing patients in clinic. These other things I'm doing, I'm basically doing in my free time. And to have people say, oh, Shika, this is kind of, are you sure you really want to be focusing on this? Even when I'm publishing in, you know, peer-reviewed high-impact journals on the topic, it what you would think that promotions committees would say, wow, this is so great. She's got all these publications <laughs> in, in like these really high-impact journals. Wow, how amazing. But instead it's, mm, maybe you shouldn't be publishing on this topic. Maybe you should right. be publishing on something else. And then, and that's when I just, I kind of want to throw in the towel and say, well, yeah, why am I doing this? But, but then I'll get an email from a woman physician who heard me speak somewhere and said, you're so inspiring. And, you know, I use some of the tips you gave and I managed to get myself a promotion or I managed to, you know, confront this person and and come out with a good outcome. And, and then I feel good because I feel like, okay, I did something good. It's not something I see every day. It's not something that a promotions committee will necessarily ever know, but at least I know that some of the work I'm doing is resonating with some people. It's really interesting that you talk about the feedback that you get because and how that inspires you to keep going. Because I have, you know, I was thinking one day, I remember um, being really discouraged because I was, I was, uh, I got a article accepted to JAMA and I was sharing with someone uh, how excited I was that I wrote this piece, uh, this opinion piece that got accepted. And um, the person's response was, well, too bad it wasn't science. (laughs) And I'm looking at this person and I, I'm like, 
you have never published anything in jam. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's the, the, you know, I went to the basement, which I, in my mind had to climb out uh-huh. of the basement. I didn't respond yep. that way, but, but I went back to my office and, um, I have this like uh, folder that I keep all of these letters and notes that I get from women who say, you know, you wrote this and it helped me, or you shared this and it helped me, or I was able to overcome this, or I got a raise, or I got a promotion. I went to the Brave Enough Conference and I did this or whatever. And I keep them hidden in a folder in my office. But on my walls, I have like, you know, my, you know, diplomas and stuff, you know, all that kind of academic kind of boring stuff. And, (laughs) And I'm like, I should, this should be flipped. You know, I should have on my walls, all of the, my, the, because that's what keeps me going. That's yeah. literally what keeps me going. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. My, one of my friends, um, Dr. Eve Bloomgarden, who's here in Chicago, she suggested a couple of years that I create an awesome list. And so I have an awesome list where I have like a folder on my computer and then I have a physical folder of exactly that, you know, letters from people or emails or messages that I got where people have said that I've, I've done something or I've said something that's helped them in some way. And it does, especially on days where I'm really doubting myself or I've gotten some negative feedback or I've gotten, you know, some, I had a tough conversation. It really, it's what keeps me going. And I mean, I'm really, I'm really a firm believer in no one is perfect and you can constantly be improving upon yourself. And so even when people say things that are profoundly negative or not necessarily constructive, I always try to see if there's a way I can utilize it to make myself better in some way, shape or form. I mean, it's hard and I cry and it's not, it's not an easy process to go through, but I mean, sometimes if someone's just being mean, then no, then I just say, okay, this is going into the bucket of my brain that I never think about again. But in most cases I can at least find something where I say, okay, well, this is how this person saw what I said or what I did, how would I approach this differently? Would I approach it differently? Did I do something that needs to be modified to improve on myself in the future? And I mean, to be honest, the more I do this work, the more I realize there are people who are just going to be mean to be mean. Um, But then there are those people who are unintentionally mean, or there's those people who have your best interests at heart and they don't really know how to say things to you. So I try to give, you know, you talk so much about giving people grace and I've, I've incorporated that into a lot of my talks where I tell people, especially in this time of COVID, it's so important to give people grace because you don't know what other people are going through. But I mean, really, whenever I have a situation like that, that awesome list and that folder is where I go to give myself energy and strength and remind myself why I keep working so hard to do these things that I may never get recognized for, but I think are making a positive impact in some way in the world. And they are, you know, they, they so are because you and I both know how isolating it can be to be a woman in medicine and how isolating it can be to have faced bias in the workplace or discrimination or be treated differently because you stood up for yourself or you spoke up or, or just finding out, you know, I get letters all the time from women who find out they're being paid significantly less than their male colleagues. And they're just crushed, you know, Mm -hmm. and it, we, we, you know how isolating that is. And so when 
you're someone who has a voice that uses your platform to encourage women and to empower them to, and to normalize their experiences. You're making a difference. I mean, Chica, you're making a huge difference. And then when you're organizing an event that's bringing women together solely to empower, encourage, elevate, it is, it, it, it's making a difference. It might not be the same as, you know, getting a K award in the eyes of some, but you don't know how, how long it, the reach is, you know, I can't, you and I both know, we never will know how, who's listening right now that may be feeling down. Um, but I, the reason I wanted to talk about this today is because I think right now what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of people really looking at themselves in different light as a leader. And maybe they're speaking up more, or maybe they're saying, you know, we should think about this, or we should think about this bias, or, Hey, I think we just all kind of went down the wrong unconscious bias path here. And when you do that, it's not fun. Nobody gives you a pat on the back (laughs) and, and accolades, right? The feeling that you have of doing the right thing is the, uh, is the reward. Doing the right thing is the reward, but nobody's going to like celebrate you for doing the right thing. And I think when people see like people like you and people like myself and people like Julie Silver, and there's so many amazing women that are doing this work, they think, oh, they must always get accolades or it must be easier their path, but it's not. Nobody's really in our institutions many times in our organizations, you know, people are concerned about other things. They're not thinking about the work that we're doing and we're often doing on nights and weekends for free. And so it's always it's always important to know that when you're starting to be an advocate, you're gonna get that backlash and it's not gonna feel great, but keep doing it because it's the right thing to do. Exactly. And it is, I mean, my parents, when I was a kid and even now, they always joke that I, I'm the kind of person who I have to do the right thing because I'm not like, I'm not capable of lying. I tried once in the fourth grade, I accidentally (laughs) cheated like on an extra credit question in my French test because I saw someone else's answer. And I felt so sick to my stomach that I went and told my French teacher the next day, like, that's how much I can't lie and how much I have to do the right thing. And I mean, it's, it's just the way my DNA is. It's the way that I'm wired. And so when I see, I, when I see things happening, I have to speak up and, you know, I've learned as I've gotten older, different ways to speak up that are, you know, more constructive and, and hopefully we'll come to a positive solution. But, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so many things that we do where it is an uphill battle with someone pushing you down as you're trying to like push a boulder up a mountain. And it's, it's really, it gets exhausting. And I mean, my family has seen me exhausted. I mean, it's put my family through stress because they, when I'm stressed, everybody else is stressed. And it's just, it's, it can be a lot, but it is so worth it in the end in my mind, because if even one or two people feel like, you know, we've touched their lives and helped them in some way, I feel like it's worth it because people need to hear that these types of things need to be fixed. And that's the only way the gender equity is going to be achieved in healthcare. Yeah. And isn't it funny too, how, how, you know, sometimes, um, you, you'll find allies in the most unsuspecting places, you know? Um, and I always tell people that. And, and the opposite is true. Sometimes I've just assumed that someone's on team Sasha and then, you know, I get this private DM or I get this email and I'm like, Whoa, 
I did not <laughs> see that coming. Like, you know, yep. and I think it's just like when you're someone that values people and culture, um, and, and you value others, people, you, you want people to like you, right. You want to be someone that people respect and like, and, um, those are two set. I've, I've have to tell myself all the time. Those are two separate things, Sasha. Those are two yep. separate things. And you can't assume because you're doing gender equity work that all women are going to like you. You can't assume that the men are not going to agree with you. I've found some great allies on social media. I found some great allies in my institution. Um, and it's just, it's, it's interesting because I think this doing this work though, exposes people, it exposes their feelings and their, their emotions in a way that's natural, I think, to get defensive at sometimes. And I've just had to learn like, okay, that person is not on team Sasha and I, it's not my job to make them like, that's, mm -hmm. that's not who I'm trying to reach maybe, or I, I just have to move on to the next thing. Yeah. No, I, I think you make a really good point about the respecting you and liking you. I, I have a real challenge accepting that everyone in the world isn't going to like me. It's the reason I can't go into politics <laughs> because I, my husband and my, my brother, actually, they always joke. They say, you, you really want everyone to like you. And I say, yeah, I, I kind of do. I really would like everyone to like me. And they said, well, you are doing a lot of work that could be considered somewhat polarizing. So a lot of people probably aren't going to like you. Are you okay with that? And my response is no, I'm not going to be okay with that. Do I accept that? Yes. Will I have to live with that? Yes. But it's not great when, you know, people don't like you. And when people say things that, you know, like you said, they, I thought they were on team Shika, but turns out they're actually not. It's, <laughs> I, I always it's think people, that's my problem. I always think people like me. I just assume me too. like I'm the person that walks into the, into a room. It drives my husband bananas. Like I walk into a party where I know like two people and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go to the bar. And he's like, you're going to go to the bar and come back with seven friends. And I'm like, yep. yes, cause I'm an extrovert. And I just assume people like me, but that's not that the case. <laughs> exactly the same as me. My husband and I have the exact same conversation and he is not an extrovert. I mean, he is more of an extrovert now than he used to be, but that is, that is the joke in our family where I, I just go and I meet. And there was, when I was in college, actually college or med school, one of my friends actually made a Facebook group or must've been med school or residency. Facebook didn't exist when I was in college. Yeah. Um, but um, he made a group said uh, that was called everyone knows Shika Jane because, <laughs> <laughs> and he just started, he just started adding people to it. And he was like, tell us how, you know, Shika. And the group grew really fast. And I didn't know the group existed until he added me. And he's like, I made this Facebook group of all these people. Who that know you. is and hilarious. It was just, it was really funny. So yeah, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow when people don't like you or when, you know, especially on social media, it's so easy for people to lash out and, you know, forget that there's a person behind the computer screen. And even people who know me sometimes, especially with the advocacy work I'm doing right now with COVID and trying to disseminate evidence-based information. And there's some people who don't believe in science or don't believe in medicine. And so it's hard when they start attacking you or attacking what you're doing. And, and it's hard to, to realize that there are going to be people who either don't like you or who want to attack you. But when you're doing this type of work and when you're speaking out about things that you think are important, it's going to happen. And I have to develop a thicker skin. I'm working on it. It's, it's coming in slowly, but it takes time to develop that thick skin to realize that everybody's not going to, you know, support you and be on your side and, and be happy with what you're saying. Yeah. 
You're right. It does. And, you know, I think the, the, the thing that I always tell myself is like, it all goes back for me. It comes back to authenticity. And I, I just have to, at the end of the day, if I can put my head down knowing I was being authentic because, because when you start, I mean, it is normal to want people to like you. First of all, I, I get really annoyed when I see people saying things like, I don't care if people don't like me. Well, that's baloney or you're a narcissist. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're either a narcissist or a liar. Like there's no in between. Yep. It's natural for you to want people to like you if you're a decent human being. So like, I don't ever get upset when I think have those thoughts, but I always think to myself, like, I have to be authentic. Was I being authentic? Because I've been, I've spent years of my career, unfortunately, trying to please everybody. And that made me very inauthentic um, because I was trying to get people to like me and do the right thing and say yes to this and say yes to everything. And so I always have to tell myself like, okay, this is part of your healthy boundary is being authentic. And part of being authentic is, is not pleasing everybody or expecting everybody to agree with you. So I love all of our conversations. You and I could have a, like, we could talk for eight hours and, and and (laughs) we could be, we're like the road trip podcast. Um, (laughs) like if you're going on a road trip, so I want to be respectful of your time, but I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the times that you have, um, encouraged me personally, um, sent me an encouraging note, um, or text, uh, when you see that I've been under attack or you think I'm, or you know that I'm having a hard time, um, (laughs) you're very, it, it means so much to me to have another person who's in this space do that. And I want to recognize you for doing that for me personally. And I want to thank you for coming on and just sharing a glimpse of the fabulousness that you portray, um, in real life and online, tell people how they can follow you. Absolutely. Well, first I want to thank you for having me on. And I think that you are just incredible and I love everything that you do. And I think that you have absolutely succeeded in being authentic. And I know there are women and men across really the world who find you incredibly inspiring. And so thank you for creating these amazing spaces for people to come together and talk and listen and learn and just really be inspired by you. So thank you for that. Um, and um, the best way to reach me. So on Twitter, I'm at Shika Jane MD, which is S H I K H A J A I N M D. Um, if you want to reach my, uh, website, it's www.shikajanemd.com. Same thing for Instagram. Um, and then the Women in Medicine Summit has a webpage, which is womeninmedicinesummit.org. So those are some of the easiest ways to find me and find some of the stuff that I'm working on. That's awesome. And be sure and check out Women in Medicine. It's just an incredible event and really well put together. And I just thank you so much for coming on. And if you're listening today, I hope that we encouraged you that you know, advocacy is so important. It does not come without a few arrows. And what is so important is to have people that can pull those arrows out of your back or can protect <laughs> them from ever hitting you, but also that can just reach out and, and say, Hey, we're here for you. We know your intent and we, we know your, what you stand for and we thank you. So I just want to encourage everybody who's listening today to be brave enough to, to speak up and to to be that advocate for people who can't be for themselves. And as always, live brave. This episode has been sponsored by betterhelp.com. Visit betterhelp.com backslash brave enough and receive 10% off your first month.
This has been an HSG production.